Hello, fabulous listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Old Bodies Outside. This is your host, Brian Peterson. This episode's guest is Paul Jesse. In two weeks on July 14th, Paul will be running the immensely challenging Hard Rock 100 Miler in the San Juan Mountains of Colorado, a dream race of his that he has been pursuing for nearly a decade. Paul has agreed to a pre-race recording and a post-race recording on Old Bodies Outside. This episode is his pre-race recording. Additionally, I'll be pacing him for the last 18 miles of the race and hopefully not causing him to drop out. (laughs) I'm extremely grateful to be a part of Paul's hard rock journey for several reasons, including I'm hoping my name gets picked for next year's race. Lastly, for his hard rock training, Paul has been using the coaching services of Nick De La Rosa, who is featured on episode number nine. Paul, I'm ready to be up in Silverton with you. Yeah, man, it's uh, the weather's starting to warm up on Sunday, so it's uh, we're hoping the snow melts out a little bit more. But yeah, man, I'm, uh, I'm stoked to be here to chat with you and honestly uh, feel a little humbled by this because uh, you've had some amazing guests on this and I'm just a weirdo that takes his hobby too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, I think it, it's it's fascinating to hear your your long term commitment to running, um, your long term commitment to learning about yourself, your long term commitment to get into hard rock. I think those are all you know interesting things to include in all bodies outside. Well, I appreciate it. You know, it's, it's funny. I actually was out on a training run probably about a month or two ago with some people, and one of the guys, uh, he's a younger guy, he's like you know not doesn't know quite as much about hard rock and stuff, and. He was just thrown off by the fact that I would wait. Like I started applying in 2015, I think probably around the same time you did. I might've been a year later than you even. And uh, he's like, you know, there's so many hundreds out there. Why would you just keep trying to get into this one instead of just going to something else? And I was like, nothing else matters this much. Like I I came out here in 2015 for the first time and I've been here almost every year since other than one of the cancellation years I missed and then missed last year. But uh, this, this race, not just the, um, the course, but the community around it means a lot. And, uh, I've been really fortunate to have some incredible mentors that have like, uh, ushered me along in the sport and, uh, specifically kind of towards this race. So, uh, it's, it, I don't, I don't have anything else that I really, I mean, my, my wife obviously and my dog, but I don't really have much else in my life that I care about as much as I've been wanting to get into this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it might sound kind of, uh, like a weak reason or a weak benefit of the hard rock process. But I'm going to say it anyways. And one of the things that I have personally liked about the hard rock process, and for those people that are listening out there that are not familiar with the hard rock process, you have to qualify for hard rock and your qualifier lasts for two years. And then hard rock has a lottery every single year. And they have a list of races that you need to, that are qualifier races. And they're usually high elevation mountain races. And each year that you don't get your name pulled in the lottery, you accrue more tickets. And so the weak benefit of the hard rock process that I was going to say is there's so many races out there now. There's so many hundred mile races out there, so many ultra marathons and hard rock has actually given me a little bit of guidance of what races to do. And so I've been choosing different qualifiers as I've been trying to get into hard rock. And so I've actually really liked that piece of the journey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like doing the qualifiers has taken me all over the place. Like actually my first qualifier I did isn't even a qualifier anymore. It was Pine to Palm and then uh, they took it off the qualification list like right after I did it. So they honored the qualification for those two years, but it got pulled off that next year um, because they're pretty restrictive on what qualifies because honestly I've done, I don't know how many qualifiers now and 
none of them compare. Like it's just, there's nothing in the U S that I've seen or, and I mean, even fat dog 120 up in Canada, uh, that I did as a qualifier one year, there's just not much that you can find that compares to the difficulty, the technicality, the honestly, some of the just pure danger on this course, like there's things on here where, um, you know, if I didn't see it ahead of time, I'd be going in blind. And I think that would be even worse. Like it's, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've gotten to see every part of this course over the years with pacing, uh, some veterans that have, you know, kind of taken me under their wing and allowed me to kind of tag along during their races. And that's been a huge help because this course is, it's a monster. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting from a state, a safety standpoint, if you're the, the race director for hard rock and you're like, okay, I got this really, really cool course, but it's, it has components to it where people need to be competent. Um, they need to be aware of what, uh, dangerous aspects are out there. They need to be able to overcome some things by themselves on the course in between aid stations. Okay. So I'm the race director. I got this cool course. It's up in the mountains. You even go over a 14,000 foot peak, but how do I deal with the qualification? Right. And there's not really a course that matches it. So it, it's a challenging yeah. thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I would say the closest one I've found was probably high lonesome, which is, uh, you know, out here in Colorado as well. It has some high elevation. Um, but those trails are much more established and than what you'll see on this course for sure. I mean, even some of the established trails here, like uh, when you're coming down Bear Creek in the, in the URA, there's a section where you're running and like the, the motto is fall to your right. If you're coming down, because otherwise if you fall off the left, there's a three foot, 300 to probably 800 foot drop, just straight down into the ravine wow. on the left-hand side. Um, so you got to kind of just hug the, hug the, uh, the cliff that's going up on this side and, or on your right-hand side as you're coming down. Um, so yeah, there's, there's just a lot of sketchy stuff that you can get into, especially this year. It's going to be real interesting just with the amount of snow that's on the course. The winter here was just huge. So we're hoping over the, 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 with these temps rising, we'll get a little bit more melt, but there's still going to be some interesting spots out there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I've only seen a few miles of the course and that's hiking up to Island Lake and back down. Um, so I think that, um, maybe I'm, so I arrive, the race starts on Friday morning. I'm arriving to Silverton Wednesday night and I start pacing you at some point on Saturday is yeah. the plan. Um, and yeah, as long as everything um, goes well. <laughs> I was going to say, hopefully I'm pacing you on Friday. I don't think that's going to be possible. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but <laughs> I'll be happy for pacing me on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully early in the a.m. too. Um, and, you know, so something for me is um, on Thursday and Friday, I'm going to have some free time. Like I'm going to yeah. go and be a part of the community. I'm going to be there for check-in. I'm going to see the race off at the start line on Friday morning. But, you know, Friday, I have the whole day to myself. There's going to be several hours where I have things to do on Thursday. And so... I think at those two opportunities, it's going to be good for me to get onto the segment that I am pacing you and become and familiarize myself with that area a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, um, it was funny because I think I've told you this, but I definitely have told, talked to my wife about it and uh, Carrie, who you know well. Um, you know, I felt I felt terrible. Well, I was extremely excited when I got pulled on on the lottery, um, but then shortly afterwards, it sunk in. I was like, oh man. Brian didn't yet. And he's got more tickets than I do. So I legitimately <laughs> felt a little bad, but the nah. more I thought about it, I was like, you know, I'm actually kind of glad it worked out this way. Cause it does give, I know you've, I mean, obviously you've been here, you know, you've been to Silverton, you've been in the San Juans, you've seen some stuff. Um, but it just gives you the chance to kind of come out and see the race 
without having the pressure of having to do it first. Uh, because that's something I've found hugely, or I've been hugely appreciative of is like having been out here for all these years coming out as a crew and, and a pacer and getting to be a part of the community, uh, before actually having the pressure of like, Oh crap, now I actually have to do this thing. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's what, that's what I was alluding to in the introduction. While I'm so grateful to be a part of your journey for several reasons. That's one of the reasons right there is, um, I'm getting to like kind of scout the whole situation here. And I mean, you know, as I just said a minute ago, I've only been on a few miles of the course. Um, yeah, I've been in the San Juans, but I, I really don't know what hard rock offers. I've heard, you know, descriptions. I've not experienced it. And you've experienced a lot of it firsthand, which is, you know, great going into July 14th. Yeah, I've been super lucky. I mean, I've seen every every section of this course in it. So the course runs opposite directions every year. So this year we're running counterclockwise. Um, I've been fortunate enough to see every section in at least one direction. Some of them I've actually seen in both directions uh, just because the people I've paced, one was Scotty Mills, who, you know, a lot of people in the ultra running community are going to know him. He's just kind of a legend. He's been around for literally as long as we've been alive, he's been doing this stuff. Uh, yeah. he, he's in his seventies now he'll be on our crew early on. And then he's pacing a friend of ours towards the end of his race. Um, so the first time I came up here and every time since then, uh, anytime Scotty was running, he was over 60 and any 60 year old can have pacers right from the start. Hmm. So that was hugely beneficial to myself and a couple of other people that he had on his team because we were able to see sections that normally you would never be able to pace. Yeah. Um, so that was really helpful. And then the last two times I paced, <clears throat> I actually paced this amazing woman. Uh, her name's Betsy Kalmeyer. Uh, she has, I believe I'm going to get this wrong. She's either 20 finishes or 21 finishes now, wow. um, with only, with only two DNFs ever at hard rock. And one was the, uh, ma a massive blizzard year where she got hypothermic. And then I think she DNF either, I think she might've DNF last year was her second ever DNF, but she's got 20 oh. or 21 finishes. I'm pretty sure she still holds the women's, uh, FK fastest known time for the Colorado trail. Uh, oh. this woman is easily one of the toughest human beings I've ever, ever been around in my life. Like she, she and Scotty both go back to, uh, they're both air force grads, obviously separated by some years. Um, she was in one of like the early, early, like one of like the first two or three classes that had even women graduate from the air force Academy. Wow. Uh, and then of course I love her cause she's a Pittsburgh native, which yeah, I grew up back there, went to school in Pittsburgh. So we hit it off well, cause you know, us, uh, us burgers got to stick together. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, yeah, I'm nice. just super lucky to have them, uh, you know, take me under their wings and just give me the opportunity to follow them around the course. Cause it's not like, I mean, Scotty's got 10 finishes. She's got at least 20. It's Jeez. not like they need my help out there to like, keep them on course. Like I'm right need from you. Uh, but, uh, like they just wanted me for like company. And honestly, I just picked their brains the entire time I was out there and like, it was so much fun. Yeah. Well, I think Paul, you're going to be serving in that capacity for me when I get in the hard rock. <laughs> well, dude, that's, I mean, that's honestly one of the biggest things for me, you, and then, you know, there's another guy on our team, uh, Jameson, who's coming out. He's a younger guy. Uh, you're going to like him. He's a good dude. Um, but he, like his, uh, his partner, she's done, she just did her first 50 miler, I think. Um, and he hasn't quite dipped his toe yet into the ultras, even though he's done some pretty tough, like trail running, uh, adventures. So he's the one I'm, I suckered into going up and over uh, Kroger's canteen with me and um, some of those, uh, some of those gnarly sections. So I figure out, you know, a little baptism by fire. Yeah. Oh man. He's going to love it. He's going to fall in love with it. 
Oh yeah. That, and that's my goal is like, you know, I've had these people kind of just shepherd me along and, you know, if I can do that for somebody else and kind of introduce them to this amazing environment and community, you know, yeah, and community of, too. Kind of my responsibility to do so. Yeah. And this is something that the ultra and community gets a lot of positive and rave reviews. People are like, gosh, I just really love that community a lot. And something that, you know, you and I have transitioned from being younger runners in the community to now, you know, we're in our midlife. And one of the things that I have noticed in that transition was, um, it's gotten to this point now where it's like, I'm interested in inspiring others. I'm interested in building this community. I'm interested in diversifying this community um, because it's such an awesome and welcoming community. And I think a lot of people just aren't aware of it or they are, you know, there's, there's perceptions of, you know, it's pretty hardcore and that might be a little bit of a barrier of entry until you maybe yeah. meet someone, know someone that has done it. And you're like, okay, if they've done it, I can do this too. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I got started with this stuff. I mean, I ran my first 50K in 2010, I guess it was. Um, and then pretty much right away started putting on, uh, well, I was already putting on short distance, like 5K half marathon trail races. And then I immediately jumped into, after doing that, putting on some longer distance trail stuff up to 50 miles. And I, I was just so welcomed in by the other race directors in, at the time it was in San Diego where I was living, where we were both living. And, uh, you know, everyone was just so welcoming and like really helped me figure it out. Cause like, I mean, I didn't really know what I was doing, you know? So like, and the cool thing about that community at the time and still to this day is, you know, when you go to an ultra in SoCal in Southern California, especially San Diego, almost every aid station is managed by a race director from a different race that comes out and, and like helps out. And, uh, you know, so it's just, it is a really, really cool community. I mean, like, you know, every community has their, there are things that, you know, maybe people don't like about it or whatever. Um, but I feel like with the welcoming nature of this community, it, you know, it's just a matter of taking, taking a couple extra steps to, uh, you know, bring in a little bit more or like, you know, just more people and a little bit more diversity to it and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We were really fortunate to, you know, kick things off with the San Diego running ultra running community. Um, uh, yeah, because they, absolutely. They, there's a lot of group runs. Uh, you and I, you know, we went running together a lot, but we also ran a lot with other people. It was easy, yeah. easy, easy to connect with people. And this is social media wasn't quite what it was today. You know, we're talking, um, you know, over a decade ago and, yeah. um, it, it, it really was a great community to get involved with. And I was, I was just, you know, as you're saying that, I was like, you know, really reflecting on it because I've lived now in all these various parts of the country with mm -hmm. California and, um, Utah and South Carolina and Kansas. And, um, Kansas, like, you know, like, gosh, like I don't really know too many people that are doing yeah. ultra running, but we, we got it. We do have a community here. It's there. And in fact, um, my wife, my partner, Jessa, she, um, has a, a friend at work who's getting into ultra marathons. He's running his first 50 nice. K and he ultimately wants to build up to hundred miles. And so I was like, Oh, connect us up. And so him and I are going to be getting coffee, um, the Sunday after 4th of July, um, and just talk, you know, ultra marathons and whatnot. And, you know, you know, hear where he's at and stuff. And it, it, it's another place where it's like, you know, I hear someone locally that's getting into it. I'm like, Oh yeah, connect me up. I'd love to talk to him and, you know, cheer him on. Yeah. And it's super exciting too. Like, it's, I mean, it gives you, you know, it almost gives you rookie eyes again, you know, like this fresh perspective of like, Oh man, you're seeing it from like this brand new perspective again. Cause I mean, you know, you kind of get, you get kind of, I don't want to say jaded, but you just get so used to it and things become yeah. so normalized when in like I was talking to another hard rock runner that I, uh, I met yesterday out on the trail. And I was like, you know, you get so into this community and doing these things. And 
things that become normal for you, you try and talk to somebody that's not in the community and realize really quickly how it's not really all that normal. And even though, you know, we feel like it is. So when, right. you, when you have somebody that's newer to the community, that's just coming in, it's really exciting because you're like, oh man, you have so much like cool stuff waiting for you. If you do get in there and you like it and you stick with it, there's just so much cool stuff coming for you. I agree. I agree. And you just made me think of the first time I finished a 50 miler, the first time I finished a hundred K, the first time I finished a hundred miler and like those accomplishments as I built them with each finish. I mean, like it's my hundred miler for sure. I, I definitely teared up coming into the finish line. Um, but all of those races building up, I had never felt so much self pride. Um, and that was something that just that sense of accomplishment that gave me that self pride was unmatched in pretty much most facets of my life. Yeah, I have, I mean, I have yet to find anything in my life that gives me the, the ability to, how do I want to say this? I guess the, the ability to believe in myself like this does, you know, I, I mean, I, this is something I've thought a lot about, like my why for why, like, why, one do I do this? Why does hard rock matter so much? All this stuff. This has been like, the main thought process during my training over the last basically six months of, you know, why do I care so much about this? And a big part of it comes down to, I've never had anything in my life that I do it because, or when I do it, I know exactly who I am when I'm doing it. You know, it's part of, part of what I love about running is that one it just appeals to my, my black and white brain. You know, I just, I still, I'll never get rid of that engineer brain, no matter how far I've come away from that degree, degree that I have sitting in a drawer somewhere, but, uh, you know, that analytical brain is still there. So running is one of those like hundred percent, what you put in is what you're going to get out. And I can't, I haven't found anything else in life that's like that because, and I think part of it is, you know, as much as we love the community and stuff, it is still so individualized. Like you're the mm -hmm. only one that can get yourself out the door to run. You're the only one that can, that knows what you're really doing, you know, no matter what's on Strava or what's on, you right. know, even what your coach sees on training. Like my coach uses, like Nick, you mentioned, we use training peaks. Um, I'm the only one that really knows how much I'm putting into something. And, uh, when you, when you do that and you start to see the results, it's, it's, an it's, for me, at least it's just a, um, it just feeds itself. It just makes yeah. me even hungrier to keep trying. I think it's a really good point, Paul, like the, the, the individual aspect of it, you know, uh, for me, and I know you do too, we both get up really early, go on training runs. You go earlier than I do. I think you get up at 4am. I'm a 5am or, um, but it's very, yeah, it's very individualistic. Right. Yeah. And <clears throat> You, you, what you put in, you get out. And it's like, you know, if you train to finish and get to the finish line, it's because of yourself, like yeah. no one else, you know, there could be people there cheer you on. There could be the social aspect, a, a lovely community, but ultimately the work, like this is something that you put in for yourself. And, um, I was thinking more, you know, I mean, this is a great question. Why do we do it? And this came up, um, at a family dinner one time, we had some extended family in town. Um, and Jessa's cousin was asking me this and cousins just really curious and interested, you know, genuinely, mm -hmm. sincerely. And she's like, why do you do this? And I was like, you know, like, and I talked about the sense of accomplishment thing that I talked about earlier, but I also, um, just talked about how it, it it's something that it breaks so strongly from the daily routines of my life that it, 
I don't want to say it makes me feel more alive. Like that's a little too rosy, but it's something that breaks so strongly from my daily habits, my daily routines, that it's something that just like, whoa, like I just lived a big, big experience. And it's a big experience finishing pretty much every race. Hard Rock is going to be an even bigger experience for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's, I mean, you know me well enough to know that like interpersonal relationships, not necessarily my strong suit, you know? So it's like, you know, so the individual nature of running just has that immediate and not even like it has that immediate feedback, but it has that compounding interest where, you know, over the time of doing it, you know, I even, I was, you know, I got up here to Silverton and, um, going through the, like the last probably month or so of my training, <clears throat> I started feeling really, really fit. And it made me nervous. Cause I'm like, I don't do well with having confident voices in my head. I usually have those like, Oh, you're not ready. You're not ready. So it pushes me a little harder. But all of a sudden I was like, man, I'm nailing all, like I've been nailing workouts. Like Nick has been crushing it with me, um, pushing me pretty hard. And I've been nailing all these workouts and I've been like, you know, feeling really good. And then I got to Silverton and the first climb I did was up green mountain out of the first aid station. And it's one of the, it's, it's a beast of a climb. It's one of the harder ones I think on the course and it's really early and it, demor it just destroyed me. Like I went up, I started that climb and I was like, I don't belong here. Like this is not good. Wow. Um, but you know, so then I was tech, I was talking to, talking to my wife the, uh, yesterday and you know, even though I know what I do, you know, sometimes you just get in your own head. And so like one of the things, like one of the things she said is she's like, I've never seen you work this hard for anything. Like you've never trained this hard for anything. So you need to just relax a little bit. And then, so I started scrolling through my, my training log and it's one of the main reasons I keep a training log is now before a race, I can go back and look at some, like the amount of work I've put in, not individual workouts. I don't really care that much about those, but just the cumulative effort that's been put in and not even just over the last six months of training for this, but like over the last handful of years, the things that I've done, it's, you know, having that ability to look back at those things, you know, it, it helps for sure. When you start getting in your head, psyching yourself out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, first off, I wish I, I had done that. I, I don't keep track of anything of myself when it comes well, to you running. don't even wear like a GPS, man. You just know like your old school Timex still. And I yeah, love it. <laughs> I'm pretty cool. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's kind of like what keeps me kind of keeping running is play in my head. Um, when I start to over quantify it, it's not so much play, but, um, I do wish that I had a track record of that. I've done a lot of running just like you. And it's like, I'm at the point in life. I'm You've like done a lot more than I have, man. <laughs> I think I'm going to revert back to the GPS because I think like, um, I'm over this hump of like putting all these like external expectations on myself and just more so like, Hey, like, you know, this, like, no matter what, if I have a watch on my, my hand, I'm seeing how far I go. Like it's still play, but I think like it took a little while yeah. to kind of get past that. Like when I was over, I was quantifying myself a lot when I did use a GPS watch for a little while. And like, I was just pushing myself way too hard and whatnot. And then it got away from being play. Um, so I do, I do wish I, I had that ability to, to look back on it. Um, but you know, one of the things you've been talking about that this, the, the mental, um, aspect of doing something like this. And, um, the, there is an intimidation factor. I think that intimidation factor probably has you a little bit pumped up for, for training for the next, like what week or so before you really go into a hard taper. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this, I'm hoping I haven't, like, Nick hasn't put my schedule together for next week, but we were texting this morning. I think this will be my last like solid week of training is this week. And then we'll go into a pretty good taper next week just cause, uh, you know, 
I, I told them, I'm like, I know it's getting close because I am dying for taper. Like I am ready for it. You know, <laughs> normally I would probably, I probably would have started a little bit more of a taper this week, except, you know, with my job, there's like, I had two full weeks where I just couldn't train over the last like two months just because, of, you know, uh, putting on, putting on events, you know, you I'm on my feet all the whole time. And like, you know, so there's some benefit there, but I can't actually get any running in during those work weeks. So we did push it a little bit closer to the race. I didn't do like a three week drop down. It's just going to be like a two week drop down. So I'll, I'll get some more miles in next week for sure. But, uh, going back to the GPS thing though, I mean, I think there's, there's a couple things about that. Like one of them being, I think it just depends on what your goals are, you know, like if, for me at least, you know, I'll always run with a GPS just so I have that. I just like having that tracking. And, but my, like my running after hard rock for the rest of the year is going to be very different than the first six months. You will not catch me on a track. That's for dang sure. Um, but in addition <laughs> to that, you know, it's like, I use a lot of like, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically just, um, dumb routes that I do in training. Like things I would never do just for an enjoyment run, but it's because I know what I'm getting ready for. And so I have these contrived routes that I'll do where it's like, all right, I'm just going to do repeats on this hill because that's what I need to do. Where for the next six months of the year, all my running is going to be looking at a map, finding a link up of random peaks that I just want to hit and be like, and it's going to be pure enjoyment after this, you know, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. There's some enjoyment in this training too, but when I have like a solid goal, you know, it's not, it's not as much, I, I don't care about as much about the enjoyment of the training. It's more, okay, I know what I need to do to get ready for this. So let's, you know, let's just focus on that. But yeah, I mean, if you don't have like a specific race you're training for or whatever, it doesn't matter. Just go out and have fun. <laughs> That's what it's yeah. all about. Well, it's been kind of funny with, I, I know that pacing you, I'm, I'm pacing you, but I've been kind of training for this, like, uh, like staying very consistent. I'm bumping up um, my training a little bit starting tomorrow. Um, my parents are coming to town. They like to go on evening walks and I was already like, okay, when we go on evening walks, I'm going to wear my 40 pound weight vest, uh, get a little <laughs> bit of extra training in the evenings with them. Cause I'm coming from Kansas. Like I'm intimidated uh, about the Hills and whatnot. And like, usually I'm like all about it, but it's like, I have nothing to really train on other than bleachers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm, I am intimidated to come pace you, but I'm, I'm sure I'll be fine. Oh yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll be fine. I'll, I'm going to be moving so slow by that point, dude. It'll be fine. But I mean, I, I know what you mean though, because my first probably, uh, I must, must've been my first two or three years of coming up here to pace. I was still living in San Diego. So I was coming from sea level and I'll never forget the very, I think it was the first time I paced. We were, le I was pacing Scotty. Um, we were leaving Ure and the, the way the course goes, you leave town on some nice single track, but then you hit uh, camp bird road and it's just, the road doesn't end. Like it does, it just goes forever. This is like a 10 mile climb. I think it's probably seven miles or so on the road. And then you turn off uh, at the governor aid station to go up to Kroger's, but that road just doesn't end. And it's just a long climb. So finally at one point I'm like, all right, Scotty, I got to step off the trail and relieve myself. I'll catch back up. And I stepped off the trail. He kept going. I got back on or back on the road and, and like tried to run to catch up to him. That was a horrible mistake. I couldn't breathe. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> so there, I mean, I, I've told, like, I've told, I, and I know we've talked about it and I've told, I've talked to my other pacers. I'm like, listen guys, I'll be moving slow, but if for any reason you got to stop, like it's, it's not easy to catch back up if we're going uphill because it's, it's just the altitude. I mean, yeah. we're above 12 for so much time, like 12,000 feet for so much of the time. 
the ura is the lowest point and that's like just that's a little over eight thousand feet you literally wow. come down into that and then you leave and you go right back up high again yeah yeah i'm hoping that you know i get in wednesday night so i'll be sleeping there wednesday night thursday night friday night um and then probably wake up very early on saturday because i gotta hike in like two hours or something i think four miles or Something yeah, it's not some... too bad. You basically, so for your aid station where you're picking me up, uh, you, you just gotta, because it's so, it's like a, it's called overpass that the, is a four by four road that goes up and over the mountain there. Um, and it gets a lot of OHV and AT, uh, not ATV, but like Jeep traffic and stuff like that. So we can't, like, they can't have vehicles parked there. So you have to park in the town of Ofer, which is like a little over, about two miles away. And then, but the problem is it's an all uphill hike to get there. So it's, okay. <laughs> it's a good, it'll be a good warm up for you. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with pacing, um, you, you got, how many pacers do you have? Uh, let's see, I've got four. So you can have a pacer starting at, in this direction, Animus Forks. Uh, unfortunately, my buddy who was going to pace me, uh, isn't going to, isn't able to anymore. So I've got another one, another friend stepping in for that one. Um, and that'll be Animus Forks to Uray. And then Uray to Telluride, Telluride to Chapman, and then you'll pick me up in Chapman. So I can have, yeah. I can have four pacers for this one. And are, are is, uh, so how's the, is, is Carrie going to be like the, the point of contact? I'm assuming she is, she's going to be directing the pacers. Are, are you going to get oh, all yeah. the pacers together on, on Thursday or something and just make sure we're all got the game plan down? Yeah, I was going to, we're going to have like a, just have dinner and stuff Thursday night. So we can all get together for one last night before, you know, the chaos starts on Friday, but yeah, Carrie's the crew chief. I mean, I've done, this will be my 12th hundred mile start. And if all goes well, my 10th hundred mile finish. So she's been with me every single one of these <laughs> ones. So she knows them just as well as I do. Uh, and so like, she's my crew chief, like she has things dialed, you know, so he, yeah. her and I, she'll, we'll start talking a little bit over the net while I, like, so I'm just living out of my truck here. She's back home with the dog. So we're just kind of communicating over phone, uh, for the next basically week and a half until she gets here the same day you do. Um, so we'll start doing some minor planning and, uh, you know, I started a list today of, you know, what do I need from crew? What do I need from pacers? And then I'll have that all put together for you guys. So, um, so you guys know what, what I'm going to be, what to, what to do with me when I start crying out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, all of this, I'm feeling really excited at the moment. And so, uh, I'm really excited to be out there pacing really, really am. And for what, how do you imagine our, our sequence going? I'm going to pick up at Chapman. Um, I, I only know the Island Lake part of the course. Yeah. Um, I, I need to look at it a little bit, but how do you imagine that going? I know it's going to be, I'm picking you up around, um, a little bit before mile 82, right? Yep. Um, is it like 81.8 or so? Yeah. And so the course is actually a little longer now. Uh, it's 102 okay. and a half miles. So, um, oh, yeah, excellent. So you've got, yeah. So you've got a couple extra mile, bonus Sweet. miles ahead of you. Uh, yeah. It's going to be really interesting. So I actually went up and did part of our sections this morning. I, I went up from the Ice Lakes Trailhead, which is not part of the course, but it does connect you up to the course uh, right below Island Lake. So I went up past Island Lake and up to Grant Swamp Pass. And, uh, it looked okay. You know, there's still some snow fields, but I think most of that's actually going to melt off by race week, but that'll be our down. Like we'll be coming down off Grand Swamp that way. Uh, but when I got to the top of Grand Swamp and I looked off the backside, um, it's extremely snowy back there. So I'm imagining they're probably gonna have to chop some steps into the snow there. Uh, if we hit it in the middle of the day, it should be soft enough that it's not like terrible. Um, there's some nighttime sections that I'm going to be hitting with Jameson that are going to be way sketchier just because they're going to be hot, like solid. Be iced like, up. Ice. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think we'll need traction or anything like that, uh, no matter what. Um, 
but you know that'll be kind of a more of a game time decision basically on race week. okay uh, the okay. next thing is they have um the day before the race they have like the big pre-race meeting which you know i i can't wait till you guys come to that because, yeah i'm, you know, I'm so excited up, for that yeah uh, I tear up every year because one of the things they do is they go around the room and like have everybody stand up that's finished. And then they start like yelling out numbers of like, okay, who's finished more than once. And like, or if you haven't finished more than uh, twice, sit down, like, and all this stuff all the way up until, you know, Kirk apt is the one who has the most, who's got like 25 or 26 finishes Amazing. or something like that. And every time you're just like, man, it's just like these guys, guys and women that have been doing it for this long, it's really impressive. So, but the, the, uh, af like part of that, what they do is, um, on that day of like all the meetings and stuff, one of the meetings they have is a course preview. Like, so they'll, um, they'll give you the most, the latest information on like, you know, where is the snow? How bad is the snow? What might, do you need traction? Might you need an ax? I don't think it's going to be, I mean, right now there's sections I wouldn't do without an ax, but by race day, they usually chop steps and put ropes in some of those sections. So you don't really need an ax. Uh, so we'll get that information on Thursday before the race. And then Wednesday or Friday, um, after I get started immediately after the rate, the race starts, they have a crew only meeting. So all the crew and pacers can go in and they'll give a rundown of anything that might've changed overnight or just whatever the crew needs to know. So you guys can get the latest download before you come out to that first aid station to see us all come through there. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. That's great. That's great. Um, yeah. And you know, it, I feel like the back of Grant Swamp's pass is a little bit of a north aspect, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't. It, apparently, it just doesn't see snow based on the or a sun because based on right. the snow I saw up there, I don't know if sun even touches it. Like, yeah, there, there was okay. like a pretty solid amount of snow. Even when I got up on the pass, I was walking on the top of the snow, and that was probably a good four to five feet above the actual pass, just like the snow that's up on top there. So okay. the the other side, it's it's holding pretty heavily. Um, I was talking to, talking to a guy yesterday who I think he was, uh, grouse, uh, he went out to grouse Gulch area and it was okay. Except for like, there's a section called American basin. Like, and that's the problem. There's a lot of these passes and like, you're up, up so high, you go up and over a pass and you drop into a basin. And even if the pass is clear, the basins are all holding a ton of snow. So like green okay. mountain, when I did that the other day, uh, the climb was totally fine. But then you get up to the top and you're up in up in the basin up there and it's just you're just kind of choose your own adventure to get across the snow to get get over to the pass okay to get to. so yeah uh, it, you know but that's i mean honestly that's a big part of the appeal to this race is you know their tagline for the race is rugged and tough and absolutely it's 100 percent accurate like it's it's a no joke deal for sure yeah oh i'm excited for all those conditions um as long as I don't post hole like that time in Utah in the snow that you saw me. <laughs> Dude, every time I post hole, I think of that run where we're coming down and you post hold so hard. I don't know how you stood back up. I thought for sure you ripped apart every tendon in your leg and I was going to be carrying you off that mountain. <laughs> Dude, my leg should have dropped off. I think that like somehow I like hyperextended. I don't know how it worked. My, my, my knee came up to my face and I have no clue well, what happened. Well, the snow was there. so deep. Your, foot went, your leg went in all the way to the waist. You whiplash so hard, your face hit the snow. I was like, I <laughs> never seen somebody whiplash down that hard and pop back up and just start laughing <laughs> oh gosh yeah so i'm ready for these snow conditions i'm ready for for what oh, rugged yeah. and wild <laughs> oh yeah man it's gonna be and you know it's it's funny because like hard rock they don't even call it a race they call it a run yeah and i've been telling myself that like anytime i get any you know anxiousness about you know goals or what i want to do out there i'm like doesn't matter 
All that matters yeah. is the adventure of completing this circle. It's, I mean, it's hard to find a more impressive loop than this one where it's 102.5 miles in just the most incredible terrain with these giant mountains. Yeah. Uh, you just, you feel so small the whole time and there's, there's nothing you can do about it. Cause these mountains just don't care. Like they're just there. They're huge. They're, you know, they're, there's nothing you can do to beat the mountains. You just have to hope that they're nice enough to let you through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. No, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. So for me, what types of things should I pack? Uh, and I'm going to overpack. I'm going to yeah. overpack like in terms of gear. Um, you know, I should, you know, I'll, I don't think I'll need my micro spikes. I'll throw them in. Why not? You know, like I I'm going to bring a suitcase of just like gear. Like I might bring some tights, bring a couple jackets. Um, yeah. I'll definitely have my vest with me. Um, bring some poles, um, yeah, poles. I would say for sure. Like I, okay. I don't know how any, I mean, I look back at some of the older pictures before poles became more normalized in the U S and it blows my mind that people did this race without, without trekking poles. Okay. It's just, insane to me. I can't imagine it. Like, um, especially in, in a snow year, it'll just help for stability on some of the downhills and some of the uphills. Cause you know, like I was going up things today, holding my pole, like halfway down because the steeps are the, the slopes are so steep and basically almost using it like an ice axe, like you would use an ice axe where you punch it mm -hmm. into the snow and use it as like leverage to pull yourself as you're climbing. Um, always pack. They, they even say this in like the runner's manual, always pack one more warm thing than you think you'll need. Uh, Okay. You know, for us, if we're out there when I think we're going to be out there or when I hope we're going to be out there, there's a good chance, like shortly before the finish, we might hit one of those afternoon thunderstorms coming through. True. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm going to have a rain jacket, like a legit rain jacket and legit rain pants with me the entire time, no matter what, I'm just never going to put them down. Uh, yeah. one of the benefits okay. of having been out here in pace, I've seen some mistakes and unfortunately contributed some of them for my runners where like, for example, one year, Scotty, we came down into Telluride and it was crazy warm in town, just crazy warm. So he took everything off, like anything warm that he had, he just left it at the aid station. Well, you immediately go back up high and up and over another pass and they got caught in this horrendous hailstorm up there. And the only thing he had to keep his hands warm were his, his pacer that picked him up there had a knee brace. So he was running with his hands in this knee brace just to keep his hands from freezing until they can get up and over the pass. And that's not an uncommon story here because you, like people get caught in storms constantly. Um, you know, when you're spending 30 to 48 hours in giant mountains, you almost are guaranteed to get into some kind of storm. Like you can't, you can't avoid all of them. So, yeah, you know, okay. rain, rain gear is huge. Um, your feet are going to be wet the entire time. So, yeah. you know, as long as you're comfortable with that, you'll be fine. Uh, I'm not going to probably change shoes at all, but I'm probably gonna change socks at least like probably two or three times during the race. Um, just to kind of freshen up, like just get a nice, a nicer feel on my feet and get some of the dirt and rock, rocks and debris that are in there out. Um, but just for pacing, I wouldn't worry about changing socks or shoes. You're just going to have wet feet. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. What kind of poles do you use? Do you use those black diamond ones? Yeah, I've had black diamond forever. Um, I think I'm on my like third pair now and, uh, still, I love them. The black diamond stuff's always been, I, I just like the stuff that that company puts out. So those, the Z poles, the carbon Z yeah. poles, um, I actually have like an older set that I'm using, like the, cause now they have like the semi adjustable ones where just the handle can adjust a little bit, but still folds okay. down. 
Um, that's their newer version. I had a pair of those, but I broke them unfortunately on a pretty good fall in the Sierras. And yeah. uh, so I went back to my old pair, but these things have been last, I've had this pair probably for, man, I don't want to jinx them and knock on some wood. So they don't, I don't break them right before the race, but I've had these things for a handful of years and I love those poles. Yeah. So I have two sets of poles, but they're from backpacking. And I, I wonder how, how durable they'll be, but I'm, I'm cool with it. So the first pair, I'm not going to bring these and they are my original Gossamer gear trekking poles. They do not oh, telescope yeah. or anything. And, yeah. but Jessa has telescoping Gossamer gear ones that I can telescope down um, and put them away. I just got to make sure that they don't have a lot of lateral flexibility to them. They can put a lot of pressure straight down, but the lateral flexibility is how you break them. And so do you know, you know, those, those lecky yeah. ones that are, are getting real popular. Is it the same thing with them? Yeah, you know, I don't know much about them other than that they're super popular. I was actually just they talking are. to Jameson about this recently because he was looking to maybe get in a pair for this because he's just got like heavy old school uh, hiking poles that he's probably going to be using. Um, but the thing that I, I, I think they're like kind of their main selling point is like they have a glove that you can wear that kind of attaches to the handle that you can yeah. just detach the glove that way um, as opposed to having like a wrist strap which I don't know, it's not much of a bonus to me because I don't use the wrist straps anyway. I don't uh, either. But I've heard a ton of good things about the Lecky poles. I just haven't tried them myself, but I imagine they're probably pretty similar to the, the yeah. Batman Z poles. Okay. How much water capacity are you going to be carrying? Uh, dude, there's so much water out there. I'm so happy. I'm carrying minimal and carrying a filter. Uh, and honestly... Most of the stuff you can just drink straight because it's all melting straight from snow. So you can literally put your put your bottle under a glacier and just drink fresh water almost. Okay, the way. I love it. So I'm gonna have I'll have three 550 milliliter bottles with me, but two of those at least two of those will probably have um, like calories in them because I drink yeah. some, like a good chunk of my cal about half my calories I get through uh, fluids. Um, okay. And then I'll have a third bottle with just water, but then I'll also have that, uh, that filter bottle with me as well. How much is 550 milliliters in ounces? Oh, I don't know, man. I just, <laughs> I think I, I want to say it's like, is it like I a little mean, bit less than 20? It's got, yeah, it's gotta be yeah, it's 15, like 15, 18, 15 to 18, something like that. Is it like the Solomon it's soft a, flasks? I haven't. Yeah, pretty much. It's a little bigger than the soft, than a soft flask. Okay. Um, I don't like soft flasks just because you can't get ice in them. So I actually use right. like, an Ultra Spire pack and it has like the Ultra Spire hard sided bottles because uh, I can get ice in those and um, they don't explode if I land on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm, I, I have a tendency to do. Uh, but yeah, I, I tend to prefer hard sided bottles whenever I can. Yeah, no, I. I... Yeah, I, I got a lot of gear to think. I mean, for pacing here, this is going to be really interesting because this is going to inform my gear decisions for hopefully summer of 2024. Um, okay, but, you know, Google came to the rescue. It's like 18 and a half ounces. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, yeah. So, I'm going to, I'll so, probably bring two of those and um, yeah. I'm going to drink from the streams. I mean, like, shoot, like, if I pick up something from the streams, it's going to get me sick post race. So, whatever. <laughs> That's it. Honestly, man, I. I won't be surprised at all if I just abandon the filter and just keep filling straight. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. There are certain spots you do not want to drink from because they're coming straight. Like because out of mines. So they're all coming out of mines, but yeah. you know, they're pretty easy to tell because they usually run yellow or orange. It's pretty yeah. easy to see like the sediment coming out of them, out of them. Um, but pretty much anything above 12,000 feet is going to be pretty clean. Uh, there is one big basin that almost every year there's uh big, sh uh, 
herd of sheep that's grazing there. So you got to be a little more careful in that one. Um, but other than that, man, it, especially with the amount of snow and how, like, and how it's melting, there is just so much water on this course. Like everything is running so hard. Uh, you okay. know, the Cunningham Gulch area, cause it's back kind of, uh, just outside of Silverton, the mm -hmm. waterfalls coming down that, like down the cliff faces on both sides of that Gulch are Holy massive cow. right now. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really, water's not going to be an issue. Yeah. But I no, think like, no. yeah, water's not going to be an issue, but I, I, the thunderstorm issue is, is very relevant every single year. Um, and that's something yeah. that like, is really, you know, like, so I have a lot of experience in high mountains with backpacking through the Sierra Nevada, doing these off trail routes, but yeah. That's a different situation than doing a race where you're kind of trying to always move forward during a race, during a backpacking situation. Yeah. If something is coming in, that's looking ominous, I'm going to stay low. I'm going to set up my tarp. I'm going to get and set it up underneath trees, get in there, hang out for a few hours, let it pass. But when you're in a race, you're, you're, you're very vulnerable. You're, there's, and that's the thing is, I mean, I've been weighing this back and forth in my head. Like, what am I going to do when it happens? And obviously it's going to depend on where I am. Like if you're already up on the ridge line, you might as well just haul your butt and try and get off the ridge line and get off to the next side. Like there, you know, unless obviously once, you know, once the hairs on your neck start standing up, then it's a little too late. You just got to kind of crouch down and take the lightning position. Oh but, boy. Um, you know, the, I mean, and there has been multiple people that have, uh, not been directly struck, but very, very close. I mean, Adam Campbell who out of Canada, yeah. um, he got, like him and his pacer got blown off their feet and headlamps blown out. And, uh, you know, real late in the race, like as they were getting close to the finish coming over one of the last passes because the lightning struck right next to where they were. But, you know, it's, it's hard because when you're in a race, especially, you know, it, it'll be a different story if I'm like struggling and I'm on, I'm just trying to like, you know, get this thing done and, you know, time goals are completely out the window, then yeah, I'll hunker down, whatever. But, you know, if I'm having a good day and time goals are, you know, in the wind, like in the window or realm of possibility, it's going to be really hard not to try and push up and over that pass. If we see a storm coming in. <laughs> right. Right. And so the, one of the times we talked, you were kind of saying that I think with, with one of your, your, your goal. So you have several kind of like time goals and whatnot, I think. And I think mm -hmm. one of them, you're saying that like, I was going to be, um, you're going to be, I was going to be picking up about probably early, like just like at sunrise almost. Um, I, I'd have to, I have to look at the pace chart, but I think, I think, let's see if I were to do, let's see, where's that Chapman? Yeah. Probably like if, I mean, if I'm having the race of my life, then yeah, we're probably looking at sometime around sunrise on Saturday. Uh, I would say more realistic is probably going to be in the, you know, mid morning time frame. Um, okay. But yeah, you know, it's just going to kind of, you know, it's, it's so hard to say, you know, it's so many, of course. like, especially with the snow, if it doesn't melt out, you know, how much is that going to slow us down? We don't really know yet. Um, and there's just, there's, there's so many things that can go wrong on a course like this that I honestly, I'm, I, I mostly set time goals simply to give my pacers an idea of when I'll be there. And mostly so I can set up like how much nutrition do I need to carry between eight stations? Okay. Um, like when I start this race, time does not matter. Like I will not be thinking at all about, uh, yeah. you know, okay, I got to get to this aid station at this time. Like that doesn't matter at all. It's going to be completely, everything I do out there is going to be completely based on, you know, 
RPE, perceived effort, you know, making mm-hmm. sure um, my exertion rate isn't too high to burn myself out early because that's one of the biggest problems people have on this course and most hundreds, you know, go out too hard because you can go pretty quick to that first aid station and especially after taper when you're feeling real good, you can really yeah. blow yourself up on those for like there's some real steep downhills and you can just destroy your quads. So uh-huh. it's really going to be a matter of once the, once the race gets going, time doesn't really matter. It's simply a matter of trying to just like, I mean, one of my mantras for the race is just keep moving, keep eating. You know, that's the one of the sole focuses is just keep moving, keep eating, you know, and um, just keep going like that and, you know, see what happens. I know the shape that I'm theoretically in and what I theoretically could do, but, you know, that doesn't mean anything once the gun goes off and it's just a matter of doing what you can actually do. Yeah. You've had so much experience that once that gun goes off, I, I, everything you're saying is just, you know, it, 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 it's, we've had so many conversations about this and, um, you know, once the gun goes off, yeah. Rate of, you know, perceived effort. Um, don't go out too hard. And, um, dude, this race is all about finishing. That's what yeah, it comes down oh, to. Absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, something I got from Nick was, you know, the re- it's, it's kind of the, I, I love it. I actually picked it up during the podcast he did with you when he was talking about it, um, the reverse order of your goals, instead of saying your A goal is, you know, the fastest time I want. And then like going down my A goal for this race is to finish, you know, anything above that, you know, well, it, it, it's a two part A goal. My A goal is to finish and enjoy as much as I possibly can. And then anything else after that is gravy. You know, if we have a good finish yeah. time, that's just, you know, icing on the cake. But my, my goal is I've been waiting long enough for this that you have to finish. And, you know, and it also kind of goes back to just the logistics of this race where going back to the talking and what we were talking about early on in this uh, with the, the lottery, the way it's set up, it's changed over the last couple of years, but there's still a separate lottery for anybody who has finished and anyone who has not finished. So once you finish, you go into this other pool which isn't nearly as big as that first pool is. So your odds of getting pulled again, go up just a little bit, you know, not quite as much as they used to when they shrunk it from three to two pools, but you know, you, you have to get that finish if you want to have a chance to get yeah. it. Cause like, as we've seen it, yeah, you want to be pulled for that first time. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, you definitely want to finish. You want to get into that other uh, pool. So when I'm out pacing and you know, it's getting to be, you know, say I wake up at 3 AM, 4 AM on Saturday, get myself prepped, starting to drive over to Chapman Gulch. I got a hike in. How am I going to know where you're at on the course? Yeah. So the nice thing about this race, um, that's different than a lot of races. Um, they, they, every runner has to wear a, G, a spot GPS tracker. So you can like anybody who's at home or has signal like Wi-Fi or internet or whatever, you can pull it up and you can see where every runner is at all times during the course. Um, they're pretty reliable. Those, uh, you know, it gets a little okay. iffy sometimes when you're in some of the canyons cause the signal will bounce mm-hmm. and, you know, it might look like you're off trail or whatever, but generally they're pretty good. Um, they're also doing something new this year with the Aravipa crew out of Arizona. Um, he actually puts on, they put on some races up here too, where they're going to have a live stream going for the first time. So that's going to be interesting to see how they can pull that off in these mountains. Um, but the, <clears throat> for your aid station, you guys will be able to pretty much just hang out in town, uh, you know, keep an eye on things and just like keep an eye on that tracker online. And then you'll know when you kind of need to come out. Uh, but like, 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 you know, like we were talking about earlier, Carrie's going to have like kind of take charge on all that stuff. So she'll know like, okay, you know, when, when people need to go, 
because it takes so long to get between aid stations. Like, it's not like most races where you have to go right from one aid station to the next. You you got half a day. You can come back to town and hang out, get some food, uh, you know, just relax and enjoy yourselves as opposed to being constantly stressed of like, oh, I got to get to the next aid station so I can beat them there. It's like, no, it's going to take me half a day. You'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's such a, it's interesting. Like, you know, a lot of the qualifying races probably on average have a 34 hour cutoff, um, for hard rock. What's the cutoff time? Is it like 48, 58, 54 40, hours? 48 hours. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's kind of funny. Cause like, you know, living in Colorado, when people that aren't, even the people that are in, into ultras and stuff, like the first question you always get asked is like, Oh, have you done the Leadville? And I haven't, you know, it's, it's a great race. I've paced it, you know, I've crewed it. It's just, you know, it's not really kind of my, my jam. It's just a lot of fire road and stuff like that, which just has fire road too, but you know, it's a little different. Um, but the, uh, the, and so people like, so when I'm like, well, my big Colorado race I want to do is hard rock. And when they ask for a comparison, the best comparison point that I can usually give to compare hard rock to Leadville is the final cutoff at Leadville is 30 hours. If you can finish in 30 hours at hard rock, Mo almost every year you're going to be top 10. Like that's just how much more difficult it is. It's just such a, it's a different, it's just a different type of race. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's an interesting statistic and an interesting way to make it understandable too. Yeah. And like for anybody who knows what, what Leadville is, it just kind of gives you a, sen a sense of like how much more difficult like the mountains are when, you know, you're spending a lot of time, like, on trail, like on trail, quote unquote, but you know, it's kind of a path more than a trail when you're coming through some of these basins. That's what like, I was wondering is like, how much of it do you consider kind of as off trail? I mean, I, when I went up to green mountain on Saturday, my first morning out here, I was basically just following my, my map on my phone. Like, especially with how much wow. snow was in the basin. Like there was there was like, you couldn't Everything's see covered. Where, really where you're supposed to be going. Um, so I was really just kind of following the line on my phone to get through the basin. Uh, and, and there's, I mean, there's a decent number of spots that, you know, it's even when it's trail ish, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of overgrown or, you know, coming down, um, the bottom of the bear Creek section of, uh, coming down into Uray. I, uh, I definitely like, there's a section of trail that, it's a trail it's designated it's an official trail and everything, but it's just not very well used. So it's kind of overgrown. Like I caught my toe like three or four times. And this is just on like a short little 10 mile run that I was doing, you know? Wow. So I can't imagine what it's going to be like when I'm already tired and almost halfway through the race. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So I, I'm staying at the Eureka campground and I'm thinking mm -hmm. that I don't know if they'll have cell phone service or not, but what I'm thinking is I'll, I'll just use my cell phone as a, a hotspot. Um, and then I can track you, um, Jess will be with me. Um, we can use our cell phones together if we need to or something, but yeah. So um, one of the things that's new this year, actually, that's going to be really nice for you is, uh, so there used to be an aid station called, uh, Grouse Gulch. And then now it, it, they moved it up the road and now it's called Animus Forks. It's one of the, it's the first aid station I could pick up a pacer, but they're staging everybody out of the Eureka campground because of like parking's really limited up there. So they're making everybody park at Eureka campground before. And then once I get up and over Handy's peak, which is that 14,000 foot peak you were talking about, that's when they'll let my crew go through to go to that aid station. Um, so they're actually going to have public Wi-Fi available at the campground for people to be able to track. So you pick the right campground, man. You scored. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> you know, now, Paul, all we got to do is we got to do the, the same run we did uh, last year. We'll just do that on like Thursday together. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I, uh, I, I was just happy. Uh, I, I was just happy we came back and, uh, in one piece and you were able to get married later that day because once we started showing pictures, I think people were a little upset. I took you out there on, on some of that terrain. No. <laughs> it was good. I, I mean, I, I had the ability to say no, I'm an adult. Exactly. And, and I mean, I, I wouldn't, I would never send you off into uh, wedded bliss any other way anyway. So it was the only option you had. <laughs> yeah. How cool is that? You know, I got to have a fun adventure, you know, and then go get married and just had, you know, the most wonderful day ever. Like it was, it was fantastic. Um, going back to hard rock though. Um, what else do I need to do to prepare? What are, what are our closing thoughts here about Brian Payson over at hard rock? Anything else I need to take care of? I wrote down some notes cause I mean, going back to what I've said several times, I'm intimidated here and like, you know, I'm, I'm taking it very serious. It's not like, you know, hopping into some other races where I might be a little bit more comfortable. Like it seems like there's going to be some discomfort with this. Yeah. You know, I mean, honestly, not much, you know, I, like I'll have some plan, like I'll have a plan put together for you guys of like, okay, this is when I need you to kind of just be reminding me to make sure I'm eating or drinking or, you know, um, honestly, the thing is, and this is what I've been telling myself since I've been out here and on these trails is like, I put in the work physically, like I couldn't have done much or anything more than I did. So now it's going to be, all right, is my mind going to let me get through this thing in one piece? You know, it's like my mind is always tend tends to be my weak point. So I've got some mantras I've got like in the bag for, for that. And I'll let you guys, uh, you know, I'll kind of, I'll definitely let you guys know what those are. So you can kind of remind me of them. Um, but honestly, man, I, I am stoked on the team I put together and that you guys are all willing to come out because you're all people that I know are, I'm going to have a good time with. And that's the number one goal. Like I want to have as much fun out there with all you guys as we can. So, you know, bring as many bad jokes as you can. If you've got ridiculous, <laughs> like music that you want to play that we can sing along to, dude, I was jamming out to some, like, uh, I think some, uh, Hercules, uh, Disney movie song earlier today when I was out there. So. I just want to have as much fun as we can out there. And you know, that's, that's the, that's goal number one without a question. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, it sounds like, yeah, you got a wonderful team put together and, um, you got me like when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, I might have the opportunity next summer, summer 2024 to put together a team. And I know who's going to be pacing me the last tidbit and that's going to be Paul. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I'm just hoping we can recreate some of that magic. The last time you closed, you helped me close a race with San Diego hundred. And, uh, that was probably one of the most solid races I've ever had. And that was only my second hundred miler. So, you know, I put you in that spot, hoping we could recreate some of that magic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's honestly like for being the closing leg of pacing at hard rock. I mean, that, that's a, that's a cool honor. That's a really cool honor. And, uh, that, that was like, when you were texting me about this, I don't know, was it January, maybe late December? Yeah. Um, December, the lottery gets pulled in December and, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget. For, I was actually working, uh, working an event that, uh, out in Florida when the lottery was happening and I wasn't able to follow the lottery cause I was working. So, um, I just started all of a sudden my phone started blowing up and I started getting all these text messages. I literally had to go sit down behind a tent on a cooler because I started crying because I was just so excited. Yes. <laughs> That's cool. Was, That's cool. Immediate, immediately the first like the first couple thoughts going through my head after I like we started responding to text was like, all right, I know who I'm putting out there. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It's such an honor. Such an honor. Um, and our timing for our family has worked out so perfectly with this. So our kids have been away at wilderness camp for uh, three weeks now and they get back on July 9th, which is nice. 
Is that Sunday? Next Friday yeah, or Sunday. Some, yeah, like next weekend. Sunday, yeah. July 9th, I believe. And then, and that's Indy's 13th birthday. She's oh, going to be nice. doing it with her dad that night. Kids will come and stay with us on Monday night. We'll celebrate Indy's 13th birthday. And then we're going to have them till kind of late Tuesday. And yeah. then we're going to drop them off at dad's. And depending what time we drop them off, we might make a few hours on our drive and just start nice. heading westbound so that um, it's not as much of a push on Wednesday. Um, but anyways, the timing is working out really perfect. It, it, you know, this is, um, it's really meaningful to be able to celebrate Indy's 13th birthday. And so that was yeah. one of the first things when you texted me, Hey, do you want to do this? I was like, okay, it's right around Indy's birthday. How are we going to make, you know, got to double check this. Like we're in the clear. I mean, it's July 14th. Her birthday is July 9th, but the but part still, of the, close, the, you know, yeah. And part of that equation was when is she getting home from camp? She's going to be gone for a month. And what days is she going to be with her dad and what days is she going to be with us? And so it all worked out perfect. So, uh, man, so cool. Well, the thing I'm stoked about is once we get out there on the trail, I can't wait to hear all those stories that they come back and tell you from their camp. Because, like, I never got to do a month-long wilderness camp like that growing up. So I can't wait to hear what it was like for them. <laughs> My guess that Cruz's story is going to be – because so he um, had to get a passport to canoe into Canada. Nice. And my guess is one of the stories he's going to tell me is that he got to pee in Canada. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That is perfect. <laughs> and the best part is, you know, we know that never goes away. Like I still love, like I still love finding unique places in the outdoors to go to the bathroom just so I can say I did it. <laughs> well, what did you think of that? What, that little like picture I showed you where the guy ran or cycled from poo poo to pee pee campground <laughs> poo poo campground to pee pee campground anybody that does dedicates that much time and effort to do a nearly cross-country ride just so they can go from like poo poo campground to pee pee campground that's somebody that's worth uh worth getting to know <laughs> he's the, he's the man for going poo poo pee pee <laughs> it's amazing when you sent me that picture i was dying <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right, Paul. Well, we're going to wrap it up here. This has been um, a very, very beneficial conversation for me, honestly, from the planning front. Um, I'm glad that we got to take the time out and really focus on hard rock. It's making me feel a lot more confident coming in and helping you. Um, and man, I, I, I'm already feeling emotional for you, bud. Like I really oh. am. So I'm excited. It's been one of the, honestly, something I've had to keep coming back to during a lot of my training runs is like, I'll start thinking too much about the race and I will legit get emotional during training runs and stuff like that. Just think, cause I ha I've paced this leg that you've, that you're about to pace a number of times. So I know, I know it pretty well. And so like, I can visualize the finish really clearly. And even right now, like I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it yeah. because it's, it's like, you know, we've talked about it so much when you wait this long and you want something this bad. You know, it's, it's hard not to get emotional about it. Yeah. Well, maybe it's a little bit easier to keep focusing on the process and not the destination at the moment. Well, no question. And that's like, honestly, what's gotten me through all of this is that, um, I, I kept my head down completely focused on nothing, but what do I have to do for training the next day? And I would try really, really hard not to think about the big picture because I didn't want to get distracted. I just wanted to go day to day and make sure I was getting the work done. But, you know, yeah. once you show up in here in Silverton and I'm out on the trails and I'm running into runners that I know that have done it and brand new runners that are in the same boat I am. I mean, currently uh, I'm very, I'm very lucky that Howie Stern allowed me to use his new house and, and internet here to kind of make this call. So, you know, now that I'm here and I'm running into everybody and chatting, 
it's hard to hide that. It's hard to keep that emotion down, man. It's like, I'm I just, sure I got to keep it tempered so we don't burn out too early. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Well, I think you're going to do great, Paul. You know what you're doing out there and everything that you said during this conversation is, you know, we've built on these, this conversation is there's so much underneath this conversation for the conversations that you and I have had together with strategizing about how to race, um, how to manage ourselves personally during a race. And so it's, it's cool seeing it all come together for hard rock here. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, no matter what happens out there, uh, I figure we should have a good story to tell afterwards, whether it goes well or poorly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the A goals get to the finish line. Absolutely. Just got to kiss that rock, man. I can't wait. Uh, I love it. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot for coming on to Old Bodies Outside. And I'm going to throw on that outro music. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. <laughs>